0: Before we jump into God's word, I want you to hear me say: Here's what just what you just saw happened was not salvation, but a declaration of salvation. That's what just happened. This was someone who's saying, "I have come to faith in Jesus Christ," and Jesus says, "When that happens, we we are baptized. We are we declare that. Why do we baptize? Because I'm going to invite some of you to do this today. Why do we baptize? Because it is the picture of what has happened when Jesus saves us." We have said, this is who I was, but I want to die to that person. I want to lay that life down. I want to die and receive on my behalf the death of Jesus for my sins, and I want to be raised up as a new person, raised to walk in a new life. Here's what Jesus did in me. I died to myself, but I was born again. This is a picture. We declare it. Jesus demanded it, so we do it. Already, I want you to be thinking, is that me today? Remember, I said earlier, what if he calls you? Are you gonna trust him? Are you gonna trust him? All right, so before we dive into God's word, um, I'm, again, I'm so glad that you are uh, here. Uh, I wanna invite some of you who call New Beginnings home. You love coming, you come to the services, you got kiddos and ministry students, you maybe even have a life group but you've yet to find your place to serve. You haven't yet found the place where you can serve and get meaningfully engaged in being a part of, of serving Christ here on the campus. Here's something that we believe. It's a core value that we have at New Beginnings. It's this. Every believer is called. Every believer is called, which means you have a call on your life. It's a call to fulfill the mission that God has given us, and and we do that, yes, out in the world. We'll talk about that today, but we also do it right here. And if, if you call New Beginnings home, and especially, this is where, this is where you got to lean in, especially if your children are being blessed by the ministry, I want to encourage you, if you haven't found a place to serve, we need some servers and some leaders in our kids' ministry. And I want you to come and be a part of that. And you're going, man, ain't I t- don't you got to be super young? No, I don't think so. You just got to be super awesome. And everybody in his room is super awesome, right? You got to be willing to say, I'm willing to go and trust that if this ministry is blessing my family, maybe I need to go and be a part of it. There is no more fun place to serve than in kids' ministry. And here's what I want to tell you. That is where the soil is the most fertile on our campus. You go back there, and those, those precious hearts are open to the gospel, they're open to the truth that God loves them, right? They haven't come, become jaded and crusty like me, right? They just are open to that. And so I want to invite you. I want to tell you just very honestly as your pastor, we need you. And we need for some of you to step up and go, okay, I've, I've kind of watched. Normally, I just want my Sundays to be super chill. Well, we're done with that. It's time to put your hands in. Seriously, it's time to put your hands in. It's time to find a place where you can start making a difference. And one of the biggest needs that we have right now is in Kismish. So if I'm talking to you, I want you to get connected with Brittany Godsey. Be courageous. Be obedient. Shoot her an email. She'll be right in that area when this service ends. You go find her and say, All right, that's two weeks in a row. I saw a video of Pastor Matt last week. He's talking about it this week. I'm, I'm in. Because again, we have a mission. We have a mission that God has given us to live, and at New Beginnings, we believe that mission is specific and unique to us, and it's this. I'm going to put it on the screen. Here's our mission at New Beginnings. Say it with me if you know it, that we would be people connecting people to Jesus and this ever-restoring life where we live, work, and play. That is the mission. If you're a guest with us today and you're going, man, what is this church about? We're about that. We want to be a people who connect people to Jesus. We don't want to connect people to a preacher. We don't want to connect them to a, a, a building. We don't want to connect them to a program. We want to connect them to the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the only one that has ever restoring life. He's it. And where do we do that? Where do you live? Do it there. Where do you work? Do it there. Where do you play? Do it there. We, there's no areas of our life where we get to tap out and not do this. We want to be on mission. And for us, when we talk about connecting people to Jesus, we really there's two layers to that. The first layer is this. We connect people to Jesus through salvation. We want to see people being born again, finding new life in Christ. I want to tell you New Beginnings that over the last year, since this Sunday last August, New Beginnings has seen 271 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's amazing. Now... We have seen a hundred more than that be baptized. 370 people baptized. You go, wait a minute, 271 salvation, 370 baptisms, those numbers, you want to know why? Because a hundred folks realized I was saved at one time, but I've never stepped out into and been obedient to be baptized. Some of you are in the room right now, and some of you need to take that step today. So we want to see people connected, people to people being connected to Jesus through salvation. But also when we talk about connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life, we mean that we want to see people step into a, a transformative relationship of lifelong faithfulness with Christ that the Bible calls being a disciple. Right? I want to tell you very clearly, at New Beginnings, we don't want to just make converts. We want to make disciples. And a convert and a disciple isn't the same thing. I can't be a disciple until I have become a believer. And so we want to see people step into this lifelong uh, uh, transformative relationship where they are walking fully devoted to Christ. Do you know some version of that word disciple shows up about 270 times in the New Testament? It is the word that the Bible uses to describe those who are um, in a uh, who are uh, believing in Christ Jesus, following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, in a faithful all-in relationship with Jesus, and living on the mission of Jesus. To describe that kind of person, the word the Bible uses the word disciple. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to answer the question, what does it mean to be a true disciple? And everybody in here, I want you to answer this question. Am I one? Am I one? I've noticed a a phenomenon that started to happen over the last couple of years. It wasn't always the case, but it started to happen. And the phenomenon is this. There has been a return of the concert t shirt is anybody with me right now? I want you to think about I want you to think about what you're seeing in some of these young people who can't even spell Led Zeppelin, but they're walking around <laughs> they're walking around in a Led Zeppelin t shirt, right? So back in back in the day, you if you had a concert t shirt, what did that mean? Gummit, you went to the concert. You want to know why? Because you couldn't get that shirt anywhere else. You had to stand in line. You had to pay twice as much as it was worth. Then you wore it every day and you slept in it and you never washed it until your mama threatened to burn it. That's what it meant to have a concert t-shirt. Right? You lived in that thing. But if you walked around in the shirt, it meant you knew the band, you listened to their music, you followed them, you knew who they were. Right? So I'm noticing as I look around, I'm seeing... I'm seeing Led Zeppelin T-shirts, and I'm seeing Guns N' Roses shirts and Nirvana shirts, and I'm seeing Eric Clapton shirts, which I want to know that. Y'all know that's my guy. Twist me up a little bit. I, I get a little, I'm like, wait a minute. So there was a minister on our Longview campus, one of our younger ministers there. I'm not going to tell you who he is because you'll want me to fire him, and I'm not going to do that. And so young, young minister, and, and uh, he was wearing a Nirvana T-shirt. And I said, okay, great, got a Nirvana shirt on. I bet you I can have an intelligent conversation about Nirvana with him. (laughs) So I was like, hey, you know, what's your favorite Nirvana song? And, you know, what do you think about Kurt Cobain? And he looked at me, and I quote and said this, who's Kurt Cobain? (laughs) Now, I'm not a rage-filled man, I want to tell you that. (laughs) But I wanted to go to my truck, and I wanted to get a tire iron. And I wanted to come strike him about the neck and face with it. And I said, who is that? Go home and change, dude. What are you doing? I was like, do you even know what? Oh, just, said, I like the shirt and smiley face and the X's. And I was like, dude, I'm about to. So he wore the T-shirt, but he didn't follow the band, right? That's a funny way. But there's, there's another phenomenon we've seen in our culture. And this one that people take much more serious, and that is this. There are actually people who will put on a uniform as if they have served in the armed forces, and they never have. And people who have served in the armed forces, they don't put up with that nonsense. Why? Because that uniform means something, right? So you're talking about somebody who puts on a military uniform, And poses like they have done something that they haven't. And here's why they do it. Because they want all the blessing and the recognition and the honor and the privileges that come along with that uniform without giving any of the devotion. I want to tell you, family, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's about more than putting on a shirt. It's about more than did I show up on Sunday. It's about... More than just, am I getting some blessing? People who put on a military uniform have surrendered their rights, their wills, their plans, and their desires to something greater than themselves. Being a disciple means I am willing to surrender my rights, my will, my plan, my desires over my whole life to be devoted to Jesus Christ. That's what that means. So let me ask you. I'm going to ask you lots of heart questions today. And we all got to answer them as we go along. Does that describe you this morning? Does it describe you as a fully devoted disciple? Or do you need to really wrestle with the question this morning? Am I walking around in the uniform, but I don't have the devotion? Do you need to wrestle with that question? Right. We're going to see a moment today in the ministry of Jesus when um, some false disciples wanted all the blessing but had no desire to be fully devoted to him. So, Grab your Bible. Let's go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. This is uh, really a, a really cool chapter in uh, the Bible. And what we're going to peek in on, however, is one of the most, what I think, one of the most heartbreaking moments in the ministry of Jesus. Um, We're going to work through all different places in John chapter 6, but we're going to start toward the end of John 6 at verse 66. Um, And really, the end of John chapter 6 is the culmination of everything that's happened in The chapter, John chapter 6, is really one continuous story that covers two days of ministry in the life of Jesus, his ministry in the area of Galilee. At the beginning of John 6, we see him feed the 5,000. Around verse 18 and 19, we see him walk on water. And then really starting at around verse 22-ish, somewhere in there, he begins to teach. And the rest of the chapter is Jesus teaching, teaching who he really is, And what it really means to be a true disciple. And we don't really know where this chapter is going until we get to the end. And so we're going to start with the end first. John chapter 6. Look with me at verse 66. Before we read the first word at New Beginnings, we love to affirm that God's word is true. So would you say this with me? The Bible is true. The Bible is true. Amen. John chapter 6, verse 66. After this... Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy wine of God. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This was, this had to be a heartbreaking moment for Jesus. We see this large group of false disciples, and you'll get a picture of of, of what's happening in in a moment, who who left, and and we see the twelve who have stayed. And I want to know what what led to that moment where this multitude of disciples just walked away from Jesus. What happened that caused them to come to the end of their devotion? Or the better question, what what happened to expose them as false disciples? So let's rewind some in John chapter 6. Again, if you begin at the beginning of the chapter, you see Jesus feeding The 5,000, right? Uh, Biblical historians would tell us they believe that to be 5,000 men, not counting their wives and their children. So we could be talking about as many as 20,000 people who were fed with um, two fish and five loaves. And what happens as you follow the story, what you discover is the very next day after that miracle, these very same people come looking for Jesus. They go back to the same place where he fed them, and they're looking for them, And when they, they, but Jesus wasn't there. He had crossed over the Sea of Galilee, and he had gone to Capernaum, right? So when they see that Jesus isn't there, they go, well, where is he? They can't find him, and so they get on some boats, and they follow him over to Capernaum. And we're going to pick it up in verse 25, John chapter 6, verse 25, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, really important, that word rabbi. What does that word mean? You Just shout it out just fine. What does the word rabbi mean? It means teacher. That's right. It means teacher. Now, why would they call Jesus rabbi? They called him rabbi because they considered themselves to be his students and he was their teacher. He was their teacher. They were his followers. They were his disciples. He was the rabbi, and they were following him. It's really important to see that. Rabbi, when did you come here? Verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, Jesus now is talking about himself, on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, well, what must we do then to be doing the works of God? What do we need to do to get this food that gives us eternal life, this food that never perishes? What are we supposed to do? Verse 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Do you see Jesus is saying, stop looking at bread, start looking at me. Get your eyes off the physical, start looking to the eternal, right? Believe on him who he has sent. And so they said to him, now listen to the audacity of this question. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, if you aren't flabbergasted by the question, then what sign do you do? Remember, less than 24 hours ago, these people were fed with 20,000 other people with two fish and five loaves, right? I want to tell you something. Nobody just wanders around the hillside of Galilee with enough fish and bread to feed 20,000 people, Nobody just has barrels of food in their wake, hoping a crowd of 20,000 shows up to eat. All right? What's my point? Uh, My point is these people are asking for signs and wonders when the day before their eyes had seen a miracle and their mouths had eaten the miraculously produced food. They had eaten that food, seen it with their own eyes. And here is Jesus now saying, you're not seeking me because you saw a miracle. You want a sign? You were sitting in the middle of one yesterday. But you're not seeking me because you saw a miracle. You're seeking me because you ate, you were full, and you want to be full again. But every miracle that Christ does, every miracle He performs, was meant to point toward His identity as the Messiah was meant to point toward his true identity as the Savior of the world and as the Son of God. And so Jesus says, you're not here because you saw the sign and now you, you've come to get what I truly am. You're here because you want to eat again. And he's working to point them away from just being concerned with their physical needs, away from being concerned with the next meal, away from being concerned with the temporal. And he's trying to to get their eyes up on him and get their hearts fixed on eternity. So he says, stop laboring for the food that perishes. Stop laboring for the food that perishes and instead run after that that gives eternal life. The Son of Man will give you eternal life. Verse 32, look at this. shall not hunger. And whoever, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus said, there is something I have for you that is more than, than physical bread. There's something better than me just showing up to, to meet your physical need, to bless you and, and to make you happy. Yes, God gave manna from heaven, but that was a foreshadowing of the bread of life. That was the foreshadowing. That was meant to be a picture that points you to the true manna. So listen, whether we're talking about the miracle of the manna from heaven or the miracle of fish and loaves, the point is not the food. The point is the God of the miracle and how it is pointing to Christ as the bread of life. But what the people were looking for, what they really wanted was a Messiah who would be a benevolent provider, who would overthrow the Roman Empire, and who would make them content and wealthy and happy. That's what they wanted. And so they've come out here to get more food. Listen, listen to this. Because what they wanted was a Jesus that would bless them, but not a Jesus that would disrupt their lives. What they wanted was a Jesus that would bless them. They had no interest in the Jesus that would disrupt their lives. So here's, I'm going to ask some heart questions as we go along. Do you want the Jesus that will bless you? Or do you want the Jesus that's going to disrupt your life? True disciples follow Jesus for who He is, not just what He gives. True disciples follow Jesus for who He is, not just what He gives. Starting there around verse 27, Jesus goes on this discord... This discourse, excuse me, where he's telling them, I'm the bread of life. So he says in verse 32, I'm the true bread. Verse 33, the bread of God. Verse 35, the bread of life. Verse 41, the bread from heaven. Verse 48, again, the bread of life. Verse 51, the living bread. It goes on and on. What's the point? Jesus is declaring... He's come to give life. Why? Because Jesus wants His disciples to know Him and to follow Him, not for the bread that fills their bellies, but for the living, life-giving, ever-restoring bread from heaven that saves their souls and makes them new and gives them purpose. That's what He's calling these people to. He's calling people to Himself that follow Him because of who He is not just what he gives Jesus Jesus does not want more fans He wants followers He doesn't need more people who admire him from a distance He wants disciples wants disciples. Are you with me? Yeah? So answer that question with me. Do you want the Jesus that blesses you? Or do you want the Jesus that demands your life? Jesus is going to go on, starting around verse 52, and he begins to say things like, if what you want is eternal life and what you want is right relationship with God... And because I'm the living bread and the bread from heaven and the bread of God, then unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you will have no life at all. And this is where they start to go, hold on, wait a minute. Right? Jesus is saying, Without that, I'm the living bread. I'm the bread from heaven. And unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no spiritual life. In the same way that you eat bread and you eat meat to give you physical life, in that way you must consume and be consumed by the bread of life or you have no life. That's what he's saying. But when you eat the bread of life, Jesus Christ, he says, you'll live forever. You will live forever. Why? Because the living Father, who is eternally, completely, perfectly alive, and who gives life to the Son, now offers you that very same eternal life through the Son. So Jesus is declaring that true spiritual life and salvation come through a meaningful, fully devoted, personal relationship and surrender to Him. Now, why do these people have such... Remember where we're going. We started at the end. Many walked away. Why? What's the struggle here? I think these people are listening to Jesus... Talking about being the bread of life. And in a few verses, he's going to talk about how I have descended and I'm going to ascend again to heaven. And they're looking at this guy and going, Wait a minute. Who does this guy think he is? Isn't that the son of Joseph and Mary? We know him. Descended and ascended. We know where he was born. We can take you to his birthplace. Who does this guy think he is? Listen, here's why they felt that way. Because the people had no problem, no problem at all with the miracle-performing, bread-giving, Roman-overthrowing Jesus that they wanted. But when Jesus said, I'm the only source of life, and if you don't believe in me, and if you don't make me your source of life, you have no life at all. When he said that, he crossed the line. Crossed the line. And they rejected Jesus as the source of life. They rejected Jesus as the king of life. Because all they really wanted was a Jesus that would do the miracles, but not the Jesus that would demand full surrender. Again, the heart question, which Jesus do you and me, which Jesus do you really want? Which Jesus are you fully devoted to? The one who can do lots of good things and give you lots of good things, or the one who demands to be your life. You get to verse 60. Look at what it says. And when many of His disciples heard it, when they hear this teaching about... He's the bread of life. And unless we consume him and take him inside of us, unless we do that, we have no life at all. And we have no eternal life. Remember, these people thought they were right with God because they were the descendants of Abraham. And here is Jesus just blowing that up to say, you have no standing with God unless you come through me, unless you eat this living bread. And they're listening to that in verse 60. It says, and when the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? Who can listen to it? Now, the language right there is really important. They didn't say, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Why? Why? Because the issue was not that the message Jesus was speaking could not be understood. The issue was not that the message was incomprehensible. The the issue was that the message was unacceptable. That's the issue. The message was unacceptable. The, The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, translates it this way. This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Again, what's the point right here? They didn't mind Jesus that would give them what they wanted and make them happy, but they did not want to recognize him as Lord of all. Lord of all. Have you recognized Jesus as the Lord of all? As the Lord of all, which means not one splinter of your life is left to you. It's surrendered to him. Verse 61. So they said, man, this is is hard. Who can accept this? Who can even listen to this? Verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this. Okay, so who's grumbling? People who called him rabbi. People who were following his teaching. People who had seen him do miracles. They're grumbling about this. And Jesus said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Again, he's trying to help them see. Stop looking at the flesh. Stop worrying about the meal. Stop thinking about the physical. You got to start thinking in the spiritual realm here, because God is building a spiritual kingdom. He didn't send me to tear down Rome. He came me to. He, he sent me to build a different kind of kingdom. He said, "Right, the spirit is gives life. The flesh is no help at all. and The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe." For Jesus knew from the beginning who was, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Now, let's pick back up where we started a few minutes ago. Verse 66. And after all of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? So I want you to have a picture in your mind of that moment. Try to to get a picture of what's happening. We have to imagine the twelve standing around him while the droves are walking away. Just walking away. And the people walking away People that Jesus loved. These are people he had taught. These are people who had followed him. These are men and women he had encouraged in their weakness. These are men and women he had watched as it seemed like some gospel light was starting to dawn on them and break on them. These are men and women he had hoped for. These are men and women he had prayed for. Men and women he had lived for. Men and women he was soon to die for, and now they just turned their back on him, and the Bible said they didn't walk with him anymore. Boy, don't you know that's a heartbreaking moment for Christ. Man, when all these people are proven to be false disciples, what made them false? False disciples want Jesus to add value to their life. They don't want Jesus to be their life. And when Jesus said, I must be your life, that was too much. False disciples are content with the benevolent blessing, miracle working, make my life better, add value to my world, Jesus. But they have no interest in seeing Jesus above everything as the source of life. They have no desire to submit to his lordship. They're saying, false disciples, I'll take the miracles. I'm not going to die to myself. Before we're too quick to judge the group that walked away, hold a mirror to your your life and say, Is my life reflective of a true disciple, or is my life reflective of somebody who says, I'll take the miracles, but I'm not going to die to myself? I'll take the blessing, but I'm not going to take up a cross. So people are walking away. He looks at the 12. And he asked them what I think is is the most important question he's asked them up to this point. Up to this moment, he asked them this question. Do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? Or, say it another way, see those folks walking away? They're not true disciples. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? And in Peter's answer, we see this reality that for a true disciple, the only life, the only life is a life fully devoted and surrendered to Jesus. That's it. Look at what Peter says in verse 68. And Simon Peter answered Jesus asked his this question. You guys going to go? You want to walk away? Now's your chance. You would even be in a large group. You wouldn't even be by yourself walking away. There they go. You want to go? Boy, sometimes Peter steps on it, but he hit a home run right here. Look at what he says. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you see that that declarative, bedrock, faith-building, life-giving transformation that's happened in these men? There was something different that when everybody walked away, their feet sat their shoulders squared to Jesus, and they looked him in the eye. And when he said, Do you want to go? Peter goes, Where are we gonna go? You're it. You're our whole life. There's nothing out there for us. We've tried everything. We've been on the boats. We've tried to make the money. We're we're in the seed of Abraham. We've gone to the temple. We've done all you're it. You have the words of life. You are the Holy One of God. We have believed, and we know that to be true. And because we know that to be true, we got nowhere else to go. It's you, Jesus, and we're all or nothing with you. A true disciple sees the only life possible as a life fully devoted and surrendered to Christ. That's it, and nothing else. We got nothing beyond him. Listen, this is the type of disciple Jesus demands. This. I would contend with you, it is the only type of disciple he will accept. He does not need more disciples will come to church because they feel a little better but are unidentifiable as belonging to him outside of this moment right here. Sin. if you're going to be my disciple, then I am not an add-on to your life. I am not a part of your life. I'm not in the mix of everything else that you're doing in your life. I am the king of your life. And everything else bends its knee to me. That's what he demands. Do you believe that? I think, what I think the real difference here between the false disciples who walked away the true disciples who stayed. you know what the real difference was? About 18 inches. About 18, and I'm not talking about the head to heart. 18 inches is the distance from your knee to the floor. About 18 inches. Because a true disciple is going to bow their knee before the Lord Jesus Christ to say, you are eternal life. You are the Son of God. I am bankrupt without you. And I have to imagine what broke Jesus' heart was that these false disciples were 18 inches from eternal life and they walked away. They missed eternity by 18 inches. So now I need you to wrestle. Is Jesus your everything? You're like, Matt, I'm here, man. I'm here. School just started. It's been a crazy week, and we showed up. Why are you yelling at me like this, right? We're here. I got my kids up. That was a nightmare, but dead gummit, we showed up. Is Jesus your everything? Is there any think about this question. Is there anything Jesus could tell you to do today that would make you walk away from him? Is there anything that he could demand of you today and it would cross the line and you'd go, I can't do that. I can't do that. Think for so many of us and I say us because I want to say this to you as I've prepared this week I have come under deep conviction of some areas in my life where I have put on the uniform of a disciple but had none of the devotion and so I've, I have preached this and yelled this into my own heart so many of us. I think right now in this room with me, there are so many of us that will say, Yes, I'll come to church. But do not ask me to give up my income. I, I won't do that. I don't trust you enough to do that. I'll come to church, I'll give you some Sundays, I like your teachings, but don't ask me to put your priorities above what I want with my family. Don't do that. I'll come to church, I'll give you some Sundays, I'll take the blessings, but don't ask me to take my family's schedule and revolve it around you as the Lord of our whole life. I'm glad to revolve you around our schedule. Don't ask me to revolve our schedule around you. But I'm glad to come on Sundays. Don't ask me to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. Don't ask me to put the bottle down and stop depending on it. Don't ask me to give. Don't ask me to, to live a life of prayer and repentance. Don't ask me to share my faith. I'll give you Sundays, but don't ask for that. Is Jesus your everything? What's going to happen in just a minute is some of you in this room call Jesus Lord. Most of you probably do call Jesus Lord. But somewhere along the way, you begin to feast on the things of the world. And you begin to reassert you in control of your life. And purity and faithfulness and obedience to giving, sharing your faith, and all of those things are so foreign to your rhythm of life because you're not walking as a disciple. To follow after Jesus means Christ sets the priorities. To follow after Jesus means Christ determines what I value. To follow after Jesus means Christ sets what I put my children in, what they say no to, what we say yes to, and how our family is known and seen in the community. To follow after Christ means he sets my identity. To follow after Christ means he shapes my vision for the world. To follow after Christ means he orders my steps, he holds my future, and I can trust him and I'm going to trust him no matter what he tells me to do. So when we start singing in a moment, this altar's got to fill up with people who are willing to say, okay, I, I need to repent and I need to open my heart again to being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And I need to come to this place and I need to acknowledge I have tried to reassert myself in contra- and I have not walked as a true disciple. If that is you, in just a moment, don't you dare stay in that seat. Come get to this altar with me and let's do business with the Lord. For some of you, you need to be saved today. Today is the day for you to step in to a relationship with Jesus. Today is the day for you to find ever-restoring life. You've heard this message. You hear me talking about all this, and you know you don't belong to him. You know you've played church, and I'm telling you, you've done that long enough. You've played it being a good person long enough. Today's the day. Don't miss eternity by 18 inches. You can walk away like they walked away, and you can miss eternity by 18 inches. Don't miss it. And here's what I want to tell you. You're not going to have to move by yourself. You want to know why? because there's going to be people around you who get up and move and they come to this altar and they start praying. And when they move, that's your cue. Okay, they moved, I'm moving. I don't have to be afraid that somebody's going to see me. If you don't want to come by yourself, take somebody by the hand and get down here. Take one of us and say, I need, I need life in Christ today. I just, I need to give him my heart. I'm the one he was talking to. You're here, today's the day. Some of you need to be baptized. You need to look at the story we saw just a few moments ago and say, I know there was a moment Jesus saved me where he changed my life, but I've not been baptized since then. Can I ask you something? What is causing you to linger in disobedience to Jesus in that area? Right. We're ready for you today. Today is the day for you as well. You know, what do I mean by that? I mean, I have everything you need to be baptized right now. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. That's too much. I didn't, I didn't come ready for that. We said earlier, I'm, I'm going to hear your voice. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to be courageous and obey you. If you've not been baptized, I can tell you this. You can leave here in the very same clothes you wore here. I got everything else. Everything. What prohibits you from being obedient to Jesus? Family, we're going to come to the altar. We're going to repent. We're going to open our hearts again to being true disciples. Those of you who need to be saved, you're going to be able to move because others are going to move around you. Come take us by the hand. If you need to be baptized, do not linger in disobedience. God, I love you. I thank you. I pray. Help us. Help us. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to you in Jesus' name.